You can be seated. Thank you, Seth and Annalise, for faithfully leading us. What a perfect song to lead into a sermon and a text this morning that is going to admonish us to be strong and of good courage, not because of strength that we possess, but because of strength that God gives. And so when our fears come without warning, when we are weak, when we are frail, we know that we have a God who strengthens us. And it is that truth that we're going to meditate on this morning. If you have a copy of the Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 10. We're going to be reading the second half of Daniel 10 with the first verse of 11.1 thrown in there as well. So Daniel 10.15 through chapter 11, verse 1. My name is DJ. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity, and it's going to be my pleasure this morning in leading us in our ongoing study of the book of Daniel. We have just a few weeks to go in our trip through this book. If you did not get a listening guide on your way in, uh, just slip up your hand. Alex can get you one of those with some space to take notes, copy of the text. Uh, He will make sure that you get that as you turn to Daniel 10, 15. But as I said, talking about that song, today is about weakness. Today is about struggles and suffering. Have you ever felt like life just consists of one battle after another? Hard day, battle, rinse, repeat. Ever feel like there's never any rest, never any respite, like you never can have just a day, just an hour to just relax and to to, to recharge for whatever's coming next? You ever feel weary and run down? Ever wonder how you're going to have the strength to just keep going, just keep living? Well, I've got great news. Today's text is for you. See, most people just know Daniel as that lion's den guy, right? But if you've been with us for this study, you know better than that by now. You know that there's a lot more to this Daniel than just the stories you're familiar with from childhood. Consider what he's been through in his life. We met him when he was just a young teenager. He was snatched from his home, his family, his people, uh, his, his home destroyed by an invading army, scattered, subjugated. He was pressed into the service of a foreign king who tried to strip away his identity and remake him in the Babylonian image, leaving not even his name to himself. He and his friends were threatened with death at the whims of a temperamental tyrant. He was later threatened with death again because of jealous conspirators who sought to use his own devotion to God against him to have him thrown into that lion's den. He's endured regime change. He's agonized over the future of his people, and he's seen visions of the future that terrified and confused him. The list goes on and on and on. And now here in chapter 10, we find him not a teenager anymore, but in his 80s, at the end of his life. To call it a full life that he's lived seems quite the understatement. I I would imagine there have been few people in the history of God's people who have lived a life more eventful than Daniel. And yet this week, we're going to find him weak once again. Last week, we saw him finishing out his days in his 80s, not with retirement by the sea, but with God still having more for him, with a vision of a messenger from heaven giving him this new word about the the future of his people, a vision that left him terrified, that sapped the life out of him. And that's just from seeing the messenger. He hasn't even heard the word yet. And so the angel encourages him. This messenger encourages him, prepares his heart to hear God's word. And yet this week, we still find him weak, unable to face what lies ahead. And we're going to see this morning, once again, as has been a theme throughout Daniel, that God provides him with exactly what he needs. And so that's where the good news comes for you. If you're like him, feeling weary, run down, wondering how you're going to get through this afternoon, get through tomorrow, get through whatever this week is bringing, wondering how you'll have the strength to keep going, I can still give you the encouragement, give you the hope that God will provide you with exactly what you will need as well. So let's look at Daniel. Let's look at this continuing encounter with the messenger and see how we can learn from his experience this morning. Daniel 10 verse 15. When he, that is this messenger, had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. 
How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. That's God's word for us this morning. Pray with me as we continue to study it. God who strengthens the weak, our Father, we pray this morning as weak people in need of your help that what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, what we are not make us by the power of your Spirit through your word. In Christ's name we ask, amen. So let's do a quick recap of where we're at last week. We're coming into this chapter, mid-chapter. And if you didn't get to hear last week's sermon, we are in the home stretch of Daniel. 10 through 12 is all one account. It's all one encounter with this being to receive this vision. So chapter 10 serves as the introduction to the vision, the setup, Daniel being prepared to receive the word of the Lord. Chapter 11 is the vision itself, this this look into the future of what is to come for his people, continuing the theme we've seen throughout these last several chapters. And then chapter 12 will be the postscript, if you will. All right, now what? What is Daniel to do in response to this vision? And so last week, Daniel has an encounter with this heavenly being, this messenger who splits the sky and comes to him. None of his companions see him, but they're so terrified that they run and hide themselves. And Daniel is left on his face, on the ground, trembling before this messenger. We talked about, we don't know the identity of this messenger necessarily. Is it, is it an angel? It could be a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. We talked about the pros and cons either way of that. But at the end of the day, the point is not that we understand who the messenger is. The point is that we understand this is one who comes from the throne of God, shines radiant with the glory of God, and humbles Daniel to the ground. And so last week, when Daniel's in this position, the messenger spoke to him. He touched him. He reassured him. And he called him to his feet, telling him he was greatly loved by God. Oh, man, greatly loved. That was our our key phrase from last week's study. And so at this point now, Daniel is on his feet, alone before this messenger. And he's getting ready to hear this vision of the future that the messenger has been sent with. What is to become of his people? But we find that even though Daniel has been reassured, he still is not anything close to what he normally is. He still is not the Daniel that we've come to know and and see over these previous 10 chapters. He lacks strength. He's weak. And he is going to need strength to face the future that he's about to get a glimpse of. So once the angel speaks to him here in verse 15, he is unable to say anything in response, right? When he'd spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and I was mute. So he has this encounter. He's called one greatly loved by this angel. He's called up to his feet. And here he stands and he can't say a word. And in fact, he goes back to the ground, unable to talk, unable to do anything in response to this one that's in front of him. He's just had a messenger, radiant with the glory of God standing before him, assuring him face to face of God's love, of God's great acceptance of him, By grace, he's calmed his fears. Like, we we would all die for such a word, right? To know, to see God's love manifested for us right in front of our eyes. And yet he's still devoid of strength, unable to even speak. You ever felt like this before? I'm guessing nobody's going to have come face to face with an angelic being, but here's what I mean. You You ever had a moment where you're assured of God's goodness and love for you? That's been spoken to you clearly from God's word and you don't question it. 
You hear God's promises that everything is for your good. You know all these truths, and yet you still find yourself feeling weak. You still find yourself feeling inadequate, without the will to speak, without the will to even pray. You feel broken. You feel like you're wholly inadequate to live the Christian life. Like you have everything that you need. You should be able to do this, but you just can't seem to muster up the strength. Ever feel like that? Maybe you feel like that this morning. Well, guess what? If you feel like you're wholly inadequate to live the Christian life, you're right. You're right. You are. You are weak. You are frail. You don't possess the kind of strength that you need to live the kind of life that God calls you to live. And right now you're thinking you're not a very good motivational speaker, which I'm not pretending to be. This is good news. It doesn't feel like it. When we're weak and we're, we're, we're doing bad and we, we feel like we have no strength, what our culture says is we need to hear, oh, you're good enough. You can do it. You can do it. Come on. It's, it's going to be fine. What God says is, no, no, you're not fine. You're weak. You're frail. You don't have the strength that you need. And rather than rail against that, we need to hear it. We need to know that it's okay because it's true. We don't need to gloss over the truth in order to feel better about the state that we're in. I think about the movie Troy. If anyone's ever seen the film Troy, there's a scene where after one of the large battles, one of the Greek generals has fallen and, his, and the, the other soldiers are, are talking about his death and this fallen leader's brother, is, he's kind of unhinged and off the handle and he's railing about, how, how dare you insult my brother before he's even in the ground talking about all of this? And one of the key characters of the story, Odysseus, says, it is no insult to say that a dead man is dead. We're just... Telling the truth, when you realize that you are weak, you are frail, it is no insult to say those things because it is true. You don't have to hide from it. The temptation and the problem for us comes when we believe the temptation that because we are weak, because we are frail, because we are inadequate, that makes us incapable of being used by God. Incapable of being mightily used by God, incapable of being just a little bit used by God, we think, I'm, I'm disqualified because of my weakness. On the contrary, your weakness doesn't make you disqualified from being used by God, it makes you a candidate for being used by God. It is the only place from where God can use you. Right? After all, you're in the same boat as Daniel. This hero of the faith... This man who stared down kings and death without flinching. Like we've seen over and over through the book. This is a cool cat, right? We've watched him be threatened. All of the wise men of Babylon were going to be killed because the king had a dream and nobody could figure it out. And so he's like, I just kill them all. I'm done with these people. And Daniel comes up and you know, the, the, the executioners are running around. He's like, hey, what's going on? And the guy's like, well, the king has said we're supposed to kill all the wise men because they can't interpret the dream. And Daniel basically says, yeah, we got this. We'll take care of it. Like, He's not been rattled. Find us one example in those stories where we see, da where we see Daniel like fretting and worrying. It, it's, it's not there. But now all of a sudden we get to look at a different Daniel. Right? This guy who has been through all of that, even with 80 years of wisdom and experience under his belt, he still finds himself undone here. He still finds himself weak, trembling, unable to face what lies ahead, even after the reassurance of this messenger. Weakness is precisely what qualifies you to serve the Lord. All right, that's why Alex read the scripture reading that he did this morning from 2 Corinthians. When Paul talks about having these exceedingly great visions, which is what the Corinthian church was all wrapped up in. Man, they wanted super apostles who had seen God and seen angels, had the kind of experiences that Daniel's having right here in this book. And Paul says, like, I, I know a guy right? You know, the, 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 uh, the typical, hey, I've got a friend. I know a guy who's had some visions, who's been to the third heaven, in, in the body, out of the body, I don't know, God does. But in all these visions, to keep me from conceit, to keep me from thinking that I'm, I'm the stuff, I receive this thorn in the flesh. He doesn't tell us what it is, but it's something that torments him, a messenger of Satan that humbles him, you, and you can sense the pain in him as he says, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. Three times I pleaded. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. 
because my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, I'm weak. I can't deal with this anymore. God says, you're right where you need to be then. And Paul realizes, now when I am weak, then I am strong. Weakness, inadequacy, qualifies us, enables us to be used by God. I don't know if any of you have ever read anything by the the English preacher John Bunyan. John Bunyan was a a preacher in England in the 1600s, Protestant preacher, uh, rather rather famous guy now, uh, wrote some amazing things, wrote a book called The Pilgrim's Progress. It's one of the best-selling books of all time. It's generally accepted to be the first English language novel ever written. And it's this story, an allegory of the Christian's journey from from salvation through the the trials and hardships of this life to meeting God one day eventually in glory. Bunyan, his writings have been used to to bless and encourage people. Uh, A guy that we think, man, you want somebody who was used by God, John Bunyan. It's hard to get bigger than that. But there's a dark side to Bunyan. Maybe you've encountered it, maybe you haven't. Bunyan battled depression repeatedly throughout his life. 11 times he was thrown in prison for his preaching, right? Protestant preachers, England wasn't a great place to be always in the 1600s. And Bunyan was repeatedly imprisoned and he was tormented with grief and anxiety over what would become of his family while he was in prison, unable to provide for them. His wife, his children, he had a blind daughter that often rose to the forefront thinking, I'm leaving them destitute. How am I a good man when I'm I'm leaving my wife and, and kids unprovided for? And he was tempted with, with cursing God and blasphemous thoughts and all this inner tor- turmoil that you get when you read his, his memoirs of his life. There's been a lot of post-mortem psychoanalysis done of Bunyan, some suggesting maybe he was bipolar, and you read through his writings and it can seem quite plausible. Listen to what he says himself here. This is, this is his evaluation of his own condition, looking at some of his dark nights. Bunyan said, I did ever so know what it was to be weary of my life and yet afraid to die. Oh, how gladly I would have been anybody but myself, anything but a man, and in any condition but my own. There was nothing that did cross my mind more frequently than that it was impossible for me to be forgiven my transgression and be saved from the wrath to come. This is a guy who was the poster boy of weakness. And yet at the same time, someone God used magnificently because Christ's glory shone through him. You didn't look at Bunyan and think, man, there's a guy who has got everything all together and buckled down. You see, man, there's a guy who is undone, but who Christ shines through. So are you weak? Are you frail? Are you inadequate? Fantastic. You are right where you need to be. Why? Because God strengthens the weak. This is the beautiful reality that Daniel encounters in his moment of deep weakness, unable to speak. The messenger touches his lips, right? Verse 16, and behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. This experience of having one's lips touched by a messenger from God, if it sounds familiar, it's because we see it happen in the lives of other prophets as well. Isaiah, Jeremiah, both have very similar experiences to this. In Isaiah's case, the touching of his lips was symbolic of the cleansing of his lips, the cleansing of, of his soul and his people from sin, so that he could carry this message that God had for him. In Jeremiah's case, it was symbolic of God placing his own words into Jeremiah's mouth so Jeremiah could speak them to the people of Israel. For Daniel, though, see, Daniel has already been a prophet for many years. In the case of both Isaiah and Jeremiah, this experience happens very early in their prophetic ministry. It's a commissioning, if you will. But for Daniel, who has been speaking God's word for 80 years now, It is symbolic of God giving him the ability to do what he cannot now do for himself, what he's incapable of doing for himself. Daniel can't speak. He's standing back up. He's assured by the angel, but he still cannot find the strength to to speak. The angel touches his mouth, and he speaks. And with his tongue now loosened, what does he say? Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, Oh, my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. 
For now no strength, or how can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. So he, unable to speak, the messenger touches his lips and gives him the ability to speak, and he uses his speech to confess his own inadequacy and his inability to speak further. He says, how can I even talk to you right now? I'm spent. I have nothing left. No strength. No breath. I have pains in me now because of this vision. I can't take this. How can we have a conversation? And the messenger reaches out, and for the third time in this encounter, right? We had the first instance last week. We had him touch his lips, and now for the third time, he touches him. By his action, he shows love and care for Daniel. He comforts him. He draws near to him. And he does so with his words as well. He repeats his previous declaration and admonition that we looked at last week. He addresses Daniel as man greatly loved, verse 18. He touched me and strengthened me, and he said, O man greatly loved, fear not. Those were the two big things that we covered last week in the angel speech. You are greatly loved by God. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid because you are greatly loved by God. You have found acceptance with him. He has welcomed you into his presence, welcomed you into his family. But he adds more this time, right? O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. He proclaims peace to Daniel. I want you to think about this. He proclaims peace to Daniel in the middle of a terrifying situation and as the lead-in to a vision that is going to be basically about war and turmoil through centuries. In the middle of all that, the messenger says, peace be with you. And he, and he tells him, right, be strong. Man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. Now, at first it seems a little bit odd that he is telling Daniel to be the very thing that Daniel is not, right? You know, Daniel says, I, I'm weak, I have no strength, I have no breath in me, and the angel just says, be strong, Thanks for that. It you know, reminds you if you're really hungry and somebody says, don't be hungry anymore. Okay, good luck. But what happens is the angel tells him, be strong and of good courage. And as he speaks to Daniel, it happens. His words to him cause Daniel to be strengthened. As he spoke to me, verse 19, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. God's word accomplishes God's purpose. Right, This being, whether the pre-incarnate Christ, whether an angel, this messenger comes to Daniel with God's words. And now as he speaks God's words to Daniel, God accomplishes powerful things through his words. He says, be strong and of good courage, and I was strengthened. God's word does this for Daniel. God's word will do this for us today. And the Bible is replete with examples of this, with language that speaks to this reality. Psalm 119 Beginning in verse 25, says, My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Hear this. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. The psalmist's problem is that his soul melts away for sorrow. The solution to this is that God would strengthen him according to his word. God's words are not empty like ours are. God's words are powerful. They accomplish things in our lives. Romans 16 verses 25 through 27 as Paul closes his book to the Romans, he, he gives this doxology, this praise and expression of worship to God for all he has done. And he says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Now that's one of those typically Paul run-on sentences where he jams about 20 thoughts and it keeps going here to here to here to here. But did you catch the flow of it? To him who is able to strengthen you. How? According to the gospel, according to the preaching of Christ. And then he goes on on that it's revealed through the prophets. It's been made known to the nations. But the core of that thought is praise to the one who can strengthen you according to his word. That is the God that we serve. He is able to strengthen you in your weakness just as he does for Daniel. That's why we need to read this text. That's why Daniel 10 matters. Because we need to see this Daniel, right? We don't need to see just the Daniel who is cool and unflappable in his faith like we're used to seeing. But we need to see one that is trembling and completely spent. We need to be reminded that God's promises are not just for the superheroes of the faith, but they are for people like us. And Daniel was a person like us even after 80 years of following after God and seeing amazing things. We need to be reminded that God's promises are for people like us and not even the people that helped bring those promises to us were above suffering, weakness, and despair. In fact, they especially weren't above it. Read the lives of the prophets in the Old Testament and without exception, you will see guys who struggled who were undone, who felt the weight of what God was doing in them and through them. Scholar Dale Ralph Davis says it this way. He says, we seldom, if ever, think of it. The horror and pain that the Lord's servants endured in order to be the vehicles through whom his word is passed on to us in the scriptures. We sit comfortably at our desks or tables with a companionable mug of coffee, read the prophets, and scarcely think of how Daniel was physically and emotionally wiped out. Or Ezekiel plunged into a mental morass of anguish and anger. In short, of how much the word of God cost them. That's the life of these prophets. That's the life of Daniel. Daniel stands, Daniel speaks, because God strengthens the weak not because Daniel is a superhero. But how does God strengthen the weak, right? We know he does it through his word, but, but God is a God of means as well. He accomplishes his ends through means. So, so what are some ways that God will strengthen me when I'm weak? Well, it reminds me of the book of Ephesians, chapter six, verses 10 through 18, where we have an admonition from the Lord through Paul to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Here we go. All right, this sounds like how to get some strength. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. I want you to give you a little recap real quick because this text is perfect for what we're going through right here. Be strong in the Lord. That's, what we're, that's the same admonition that is given by the messenger to Daniel. Be strong, be of good courage. And he tells them to put on the armor of God so that they can fight against the schemes of the devil. And he rolls back a little bit to say there are battles going on between angels and principalities and forces of darkness in this present age. And that's exactly the scenario that the angel, the messenger, is about to unpack for Daniel. One of spiritual warfare, of cosmic battles against the forces of evil. And so the scenario that Paul is speaking to here in Ephesians fits exactly the circumstances that Daniel is experiencing back in his book. So what does it look like to take up the whole armor of God? Well, Paul continues. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. The belt of truth, God's truth that he gives to us is to be what secures us. For lack of sounding really, really silly, what happens when you don't have a belt? You lose your pants. Don't lose your spiritual pants, Paul is saying here. You need truth to keep you together or you're going to end up in a very, very bad place. Put on the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, this is righteousness in a couple means. This is the righteousness of Christ that covers over our sin, but this is also righteous living as we walk in obedience to God. It serves as a breastplate. What does a breastplate do? Protects our chest, protects our heart. 
So often the way that Satan will come in and seek to tear us down, he is the accuser, right? And we've got plenty of ammunition for him to fire at us when it comes to accusation because we're sinful people. When we are reminded of Christ's righteousness that covers us, when we are walking a life of obedi- in obedience to him, it reassures us of the Spirit's presence. It protects us from those attacks, from that ammunition, the accusation that is coming our way. As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Right? Remember the gospel that, that, that proclaims peace with God. That will make you ready for whatever circumstances you you face because it has an answer for whatever circumstances you face. There's nothing that's going to come into your life that the gospel is insufficient to address. So put on those shoes. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The shield of faith, every temptation that you face is at the end of the day a decision on who you're going to believe. Right When you're tempted to sin, Satan is coming at you and he's saying, if you follow this path, it will be better for you than if you follow what God has said. And so by faith, by trusting in God's promises and trusting that his word is true, we're able to extinguish those darts. We're able to block those attacks. Faith is what helps us to triumph over temptation. Take up the shield of faith. And take the helmet of salvation. Remember who you are. Have your mind protected by the reality that you have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Your identity is in him, not in your strength, not in your abilities, not in your power, not in your adequacy. It's in Christ. Remember that. Call it to mind in the midst of the fight. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. How does God strengthen us? Through those things. Through his truth. Through his righteousness. Through his word. Through a reminder of what he's done for us. When we are strengthened by God, by the means he has provided for us, we will be ready to face the spiritual battles that are to come in our lives. Which is a good thing, because there are battles still to come. We're not done. And neither is Daniel. In verse 20, he discovers that. This is why the angel has come, to tell him of what is to come and to prepare him to hear that. Verse 20, then he said, do you know why I've come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. So this messenger says that he's going back to continue his warfare against the prince of Persia. We started into this last week, right? That this is a a demonic entity, a spirit that is exerting control and influence on the kingdom of Persia, the most powerful kingdom on earth. Now, we've heard lots of references to kings and princes throughout Daniel. so, So how do we know that this is a reference to a spirit and not simply to a human prince? Well, this this prince of Persia is engaged in battle with a supernatural being. Men, Men don't do that, or at least not well. And we also see that Michael the angel, who is who is with this messenger in the battle against the prince of Persia, he's explicitly referred to momentarily as Israel's prince. We'll see that later on at the end of 11 and the beginning of 12. So this prince language is being used of angelic beings. And the implication is that unseen battles rage in Persia that are visible to no human eye. Daniel's seeing behind the curtain here. He's used to seeing all the, the moving and shaking of politics and military moves and kings and kingdoms. But now he's seeing that, that as complicated as human history is, and we're going to get a vision for how complicated it is when we get to chapter 11, history is more complicated than we suppose. There is more going on than meets the eye. Because a battle is going to rage against the prince of Persia. And when he goes out from there, the prince of Greece will come. Forces exist in this world beyond what we can see. When you turn on the news, have you ever stopped to consider that there is a spiritual aspect to what you're seeing? That, that there is such a thing as evil that it really exists? That there are rules, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers like Paul referred to in Ephesians 6, beyond mere human presidents, prime ministers, and kings. 
The most powerful people in this world are not the most powerful people in this world. These forces, like this prince of Persia, are opposed to God and his purposes. They are actively fighting against them. And that is the warfare that this messenger says he is returning to once he speaks with Daniel. The battle's ongoing. It's not done. It continues. Does this sound too difficult to believe to you? Do you, do you have trouble with this? I think in our, in our theological tribe, where we're scared of being too crazy, seeing the devil under every couch cushion, we have a little bit of trouble sometimes with this. And we, think, we, we don't think much about this aspect of spiritual warfare, about this reality that is going on. Let me go back to Dale Ralph Davis again with another quote from him. He says, We have no trouble believing that incompetence and bungling are endemic to governments and political machinery. But we don't as easily think of suave and sinister spirits of evil lurking in the corridors of our congresses or shaping the policies of our parliaments. But what we see here in the word is that this is happening. This is true. This is more than just a physical realm. There are powers that are at at battle here in the kingdom of Persia and in our lives today. If I could put Davis's quote another way, why would you find it plausible that Russian agents would use social media to seek to subtly inflame division and break down our nation, but think it silly that Satan and his forces would exercise the same kind of sinister influence over the hearts and minds of men and women? If the Russians can play this game, Satan certainly can. And he is manipulating things. He is working in this world to oppose God, to oppose God's truth, to inflame division, to inflame anger and hatred and hostility. This is the kind of battle that is raging that Daniel is getting a glimpse of here. He's about to be told about real history that's going to unfold. Kingdoms like Persia and Greece, battles won, battles lost, kings from the north, kings from the south. And what the angel is saying here is there are other battles that you cannot see that are every bit as real. And they're tied together, right? The events of these spiritual battles are closely tied to the ordinary events of human history that we see and that take place. There are battles unseen and there are battles seen as well. Notice that after his conflict with the prince of Persia, the prince of Greece is going to come. That's what the messenger says in verse 20. Now, as the visions of chapters 2, 7, and 8 have hinted, and as the prophecy of chapter 11 will make very clear, it will be Greece that eventually knocks Persia off the throne of the world stage. It's going to happen about 200 years after this word that is coming to Daniel here in our text this morning. The point that the messenger is making is is this. The human events that Daniel's prophecy will... Let's try that again. The human events that Daniel's prophecy will concern are beyond merely the physical. The Lord of hosts is the one who determines the outcomes of battles. The Lord is the one who tears down kings and sets up kings. That has been a huge point that's been driven home again and again and again in Daniel. And he illustrates this further in verse verse 1 of chapter 11 where he says, and as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Now remember, Darius the Mede is the first king of Persia that conquered Babylon. When, the, when we had the story of the writing on the wall in Belshazzar, and Babylon fell to the Persians, it was Darius who was the king, the first king of this new Medo-Persian empire. So what the messenger is saying here is, yeah, that was me. I stood up and and strengthened and confirmed Darius the Mede when he took the kingdom. The world looked on and they said, wow, Persia just conquered Babylon. Darius must be a great king. But the reality that Daniel has shown here is that happened because God said it was going to happen and God willed it to happen and God made it happen. The physical and the spiritual are not disconnected. Don't get into that trap of thinking, well, there's the churchy stuff that we do and there's the spirit that we sing about on Sunday mornings and then there's real life and there's Washington, D.C. and there's all of this stuff that's going on. Not separate. God is the God of all of human history, of all that we see. It would have been tempting for Daniel to think, right, that it's just the here and now. This man spent a lifetime in the political courts of world powers. He's met kings. He's served kings. He's heard military strategies bandied back and forth. 
But by tying the fates of kings and kingdoms to heavenly battles, God reinforces to Daniel that history is in his hands. And that's a very important truth that Daniel needs to know in light of what's coming in chapter 11. It might seem like the forces of light are outgunned by the forces of darkness. I know it feels like that to me at times when we turn on the TV, when we watch the news. Verse 21 The messenger says, but I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. The messenger says that he and Michael alone wage this particular fight. Offhand note, it's one more reason why I think this might be a reference to the pre-incarnate Jesus, right? Because if we've got just two in the battle against all the forces of darkness, if Jesus is one of those two, we have no problems here, correct? That's for free. I don't know if it means anything or not, but... What we will see is God's victory is sure. Whether there's two fighting against the prince of Persia or 2,000, God's victory is sure, and he loves cliffhanger endings, right? God loves to paint things as very dark, very bleak, and then behold, something astonishing happens. It's what lies at the center of human history, right? God sends his son. He comes into the world. He's going to fix this whole miserable, broken mess. It's going to be great. And then he gets killed and, and buried, That's not a good ending to the story because it's not the ending to the story because from that darkness, light shines forth. God loves a cliffhanger ending. You ever wonder why when you watch a movie or read a book with that kind of ending where everything looks really, really bleak and then finally at the end, victory comes, you wonder why you like those? Because you're wired to like those because God has wired the universe to be that way where he delivers from certain defeat. So, How should we respond to this glimpse that we have here of the reality beyond the reality? Right? Or or is it kind of like the matrix? Now we've taken the red pill. We've unplugged from the matrix. So now what? Are, Are we supposed to be kung fu spiritual warriors waging warfare against the demonic forces? Well, kinda, but you're not gonna be bending spoons or dodging bullets. We're not demon slaying warriors like some of those crazy preacher folk you see on TV. Though that could be fun. So what are we to do? Well, what does Daniel do? How is Daniel involved in the battle? Well, note first that all of this started, and this was a callback to last week, all of this started because Daniel what? He prayed. Right? Remember, the the messenger, when he first came to Daniel, he said, on the first day that you set your heart to understand, the first day that you prayed, I came. I set out because your words were heard. Prayer is the climax of the text of Ephesians that we read about the armor of God, praying always in the spirit with all sorts of prayers and supplications. Marvel at this for a second. God is the author of history. He is the one who declares the end from the beginning. But often he is pleased to write an insignificant character like you and me into the grand history of the tale that he is weaving. And in some magnificent way, this happens because Daniel prays. God doesn't need Daniel to pray to act, but he says, I'm going to use your prayer in order to do something beyond what you can imagine. So we should pray. Now, these aren't necessarily prayers explicitly against demons and spirits. You know, we don't see Daniel here, all right, Lord, strike down the prince of Persia and deliver us from all these spirits. You look through the Bible, you won't find many prayers specifically against demons. You may not find any at all. I couldn't in a research that I did this week. But prayers should be for all sorts of things that God would strengthen us and fill us with his spirit. Demonic forces exist and they are at work. We don't always know how, but we know what we can do to combat them, right? Let me say it this way. Do I know if a particular sin, struggle, or suffering I'm experiencing is being brought about by demonic forces? No, I don't. I I don't get what Daniel gets here. I don't get to see behind the curtain and see specifically what it is that's going on. But God doesn't expect me to know what he hasn't shown me. And I don't need to figure that out in order to pray that he would deliver me against that sin from that struggle, from that suffering. If I pray for God's grace and peace in those instances, that will certainly suffice against the seen and against the unseen. So we should pray when we realize that this battle is going on. It's going on in your life. 
It's going on in the life of your friends. It's going on in the life of your spouse. It's going on in the life of your kids. It's going on in the life of your coworkers. Everyone that you see is living in this world where forces are warring against each other, seen and unseen. We should be people who pray because we pray to one who is in control of it all. And we pray to one who might just be pleased to use the prayer that you pray to accomplish something spectacular. And that is good news. But I want to point out one other thing that Daniel does here. I don't want to steal too much thunder from chapter 12. But one of the things that Daniel is going to be told to do in response to this whole episode is actually applicable to us as well. And it's wonderfully ordinary. Let's go to the very end of Daniel. Chapter 12, verse 13. After this vision, at the end when the messenger is telling him, okay, now what? He says to Daniel, but go your way till the end. And you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. What should you do, Daniel? Go your way. Live your life. This encompasses everything, all of life. Everything we just read about the armor of God would, would fall under that umbrella as well. But what Daniel is told is, go, live. Live the kind of life that God has told you to live. Be obedient, be faithful. Trust in him and trust that he will accomplish all of his will and he has a place for you in the end. Go your way and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the day. You're you're going to die, Daniel. Daniel's in his 80s. It's probably not going to be too long. You will rest and you will stand. God has a place for you by his side for eternity by the grace given to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. So trust that. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed to us and to our children. And so we should be obedient to what God has revealed. Go your way, live your life, be obedient to what God has told you in the scriptures and trust that he's gonna work it out and that he has a place for you. So, Have you ever been introduced to this God, the way Daniel has been? Notice I didn't ask if you believe in God. That's an entirely different question. You may have walked in this morning quite the respectable religious person. No big issues to work out, no big sins that you're hiding in your closet, so you think. But have you ever faced your own inadequacy in the presence of God? Have you ever come face to face with the God of the Bible like Daniel does here? And realized you are spent. You are nothing. You are undone. The word for you this morning is will you be strengthened? Not by a strength that is your own, but by the strength that comes from God, the strength that is received by faith in his son Jesus Christ, who died for you as we spoke about this morning in the catechism. Your death does not have to be the end, but it can be the beginning of life eternal that he offers out because of his great love with which he has loved us. Will you walk? Will you welcome him in faith this morning into your life? If you want to know what it means to be a Christian, what that faith looks like, let's start a conversation after the service this morning. Let's grab cop- coffee this week. Let's talk about what it means to follow Christ. Since God strengthens the weak, those of you who are in Christ, those of you who are trusting and following him, if God strengthens the weak, how do you need to be strengthened this week? What aspect do you need God's strength to get you up off the floor, to get you up off the mat and back into the fight? Is your fight against a sinful behavior you just can't shake? Is it your ability to believe God's promises? Is it about a good work that you're afraid to pursue? Is it about your hope for the future? Where do you need God's strength this week to grow? And if you can't think of an area where you need to be strengthened, then I've got one for you. You need to be strengthened in your fight against pride and your overinflated sense of self-sufficiency. There you go. Where do you need God's strength this week? Where do you feel your weakness? Where is God pointing out this morning That's where you are weak. That's where you need my strength. And since there are battles still to come, maybe you should get off the couch and put some armor on. 
Maybe you need to be snapped out of your day-to-day malaise and be reminded that there is eternal significance to the comings and goings of your life. Your boring nine to five tomorrow, the boring classes that you're going to go to tomorrow, the boring routine that you're going to live out of getting up and making coffee and making dinner and going to bed and cleaning the house and doing all the things, all of that carries eternal significance. Your job carries eternal significance. Your changing of diapers carries eternal significance. Your schoolwork carries eternal significance because God is God of all things and there is much more to this life than you can comprehend. Live in light of this reality. Live in light of a God who gives meaning to all things. The things that are in front of you, the battles that you see and the battles that that you don't see all have significance. And maybe you're actually all too aware of that truth. You don't have to be reminded of it and it's crippling to you. You feel the weight of eternity hanging on every day and you wonder, how am I going to get through it? Maybe you need to be reminded to go your way, to live your life, and trust that God will work it out, and that he will strengthen you when you need it, and that he will bring about the end of all things according to his perfect plan, and he has an allotted place for you there in Christ, and it is a pretty dang good place. Be comforted by that. Be encouraged by that reality. God strengthens the weak. And you will need that strength today because there are battles still to come. Let's pray that God would give us the strength to face them this morning. Our Father, may you help us to be strong, to be of good courage this morning. May you remind us that there are infinite stores of your grace, of your strength that are waiting for us this morning. When we ask, we can ask with certainty that we know that you love giving good gifts to your children. So as your children, Father, we gather and we ask for strength in our weakness. We ask for hope in our hopelessness. We ask for wisdom in our confusion. We ask that you would make us what we are not because of who you are. Help us to see Christ. Help us to be strengthened by his life, his death, his resurrection. Help us to put on the full armor of God that we might stand firm on the evil day. Help us to remember that we are your children, that we are able to be used by you not because of our strength, but in spite of our lack of it. God, I pray that as we continue in worship this morning, that you would comfort the hearts of the overwhelmed that you would strengthen the weak knees and that you would remind us that you are the God of history. You are in control of all things and you are bringing all things to their appointed end, Father. God, may you give us hearts that long to stand with you at the end of days and give us the strength we need to get there. We pray in Christ's name and for the sake of his kingdom. Amen.